Our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Be not afraid, for God is in our midst. When things happen over which we have no control, God's way is the way of peace. Therefore, God is glorified when peace reigns. We are not afraid, for the God of peace is in our midst. Come, let us worship the Lord. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. Believe this gospel and go forth to live in peace. Amen. And hear now what the Lord Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us pray. Guide us, O Lord, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 15th chapter, beginning at the 21st verse. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. The second lesson is from the Psalms, Psalm 33. This is a psalm celebrating the greatness and goodness of God. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise benefits the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, 
and all of their host by the breadth of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. He put the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its might it cannot save. Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good morning. It's really good to see everybody. It's been a while. Um, I'm going to be focusing in on the Matthew text more so than the psalm. But here we go. First, to recount the Matthew story, the woman comes up to Jesus, asks for healing. He says, why would I feed you when I have the children? He calls her a dog, essentially. Puts her in that belittlement, but we'll get there. I love Jesus so much. Like, I love Jesus so much that it scares me a little bit because I can get so overwhelmed that I will just cry after I, like, say his name. Like, there are tears filled with love, hope, adoration. And there's just so much to be thankful for. When I read the scripture and I look at modern-day accounts of the things that Jesus has done and the millions and millions of people he has inspired to love their neighbor, it just fills me with all these, like, warm, fuzzy feelings. But in the text we read today, I can't really lie, I kind of want to slap him. There's just a huge amount of anger. Like, he called a woman a dog, which today is bad, right? Like, if somebody were to come up to somebody that you love, one of the women in your life, and call them a dog, you'd be offended on their behalf. And in the Middle East, dogs are considered a little differently than they are here. It does talk about the master, but culturally, dogs are like beasts, in the Middle East. You avoid them at all costs. They are dirty, wild, horrible creatures. They chase you. They ruin your crops. Like, they're a nuisance. And no matter how I read this text, I can't wrap my mind around what the message is supposed to be and what his intent was when he said these things to this woman. And people have told me that it was a test of her faith. But I think that's kind of a, 
a little bit of a stretch because to me, she obviously had some sort of faith to step out in their culture and speak to a man, not only a man, a Jewish man as a Canaanite. There must have been some glimmer of faith for her to break the bounds of the social norms, to seek healing from this stranger. She had to have had some glimmer of faith to put herself out there. And even after being rejected, her being rejected, as well as her request, she kept going. She didn't quit. She's so much stronger than I am. To be completely honest, I can't imagine, even with my faith, because again, I love Jesus so much. Like, I completely believe that he is my savior, my friend, and my breath, together with God the Creator and the Holy Spirit. But if he were to dismiss me and belittle me, I can't say that I would stand up and challenge him like she did. No matter how much faith I have, I can't see myself doing it necessarily. So once upon a time, I was a five-year-old little kid. It was 20 years ago. And I used to tag along with my mom everywhere she went because I was five. That's what you do. And she used to go golfing once a week or so. So I would go and putt on the greens, and sometimes I'd get to drive the golf cart, which is like the coolest thing when you're five years old because you feel all independent. And I wasn't paying attention one day when she let me drive the cart. And I hit a bump, bounced out of the golf cart, and rolled into a ditch. To the naked eye, I looked fine. There were no bruises, cuts, there was no blood. But I was hysterical. I could not stop crying. And I was crying so hard that I couldn't explain if I was hurt or if I just got scared from falling out of the golf cart. And so my mom, like most parents, just assumed that I I had been scared and I was okay because I looked fine. And she continued playing golf because this was potentially one of the best golf games she had been having in her entire life. And we were not going to leave that course for anything. So 20 minutes later, I'm still bawling, and she (laughs) is starting to go, okay, Mary Beth, if you do not calm down, I'm going to take you to the doctor because you may have broken something. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) trying to, like, breathe it out at five years old, but I couldn't stop crying as much as I tried. And she eventually, grudgingly, took me to the doctor and ended her game. And I had a broken collarbone. It's the only broken bone I've ever had. This darn golf cart. But... She felt really bad. My mom felt terrible that she didn't believe that I was actually hurt and she thought I was just being overdramatic. And she had been so focused on her game that she didn't realize that her daughter was in pain. And I don't want to hate on my mom. <laughs> like, I love my mom. And golf was like an amazing thing for her. It was a time for her to relax, to clear her head, to get exercise. And she really values it. But I don't know. I think that if I had really been wounded, like obviously wounded, she would have taken me to the doctor right away. I hope that if I had been obviously hurt, she would have taken me to the doctor right away. But as it was, her focus was so much on her game, especially because she was doing so well, that she kind of lost sight of the other things that were going on around her. And I think this is kind of similar to what's going on with the Jesus story. 
not comparing the, the mission of Christ in any way, shape, or form to golf, but the focus on one particular aspect of society, like society. Christ was sent to save the Jews. To place a mirror before their eyes to show them where they had gone astray and to bring them into a healthy relationship with God. And he was performing these duties beautifully. But maybe his focus on this ministry clouded his mind to the outside people from the Jewish community, people that were not in that goal community, who also needed to look into that mirror and needed to find a better relationship with God. It's easy to get distracted when you start focusing on one thing and allow yourself to just block out everything else that's going on around you. Opportunities are presented every day that I know that I pass by when I'm in a hurry to get to a class, to a rehearsal, to a meeting. And sometimes I try to imagine my life without my intense focus, and it would be very, very different. I probably wouldn't have a master's degree. I probably wouldn't be able to play guitar or sing, at least not as well. I wouldn't be practicing because every time I pass somebody on the street, I would go and talk to them. Or I could just be sitting for hours and hours enjoying the beauty that surrounds us every single day. But I wouldn't get anything done. Like, I would, I would definitely not have a job because I would just go and do everything spontaneously. So focus and drive is amazing. Like, we need it. Staying open with what the day brings and having some spontaneity is also just amazing, but either one without the other leaves us falling short of reaching our own potential. What if Jesus had ignored the woman again and he only continued preaching to the Jewish community? Would Christianity even exist today? This is the moment where there's a huge turning point in the Gospels. The vision grew outside to a whole new audience, and Jewish, Gentile, slave, Greek, male or female, all were welcomed in. And now the focus of the mission didn't really change because he was still doing social justice, talking about loving God and loving your neighbor. But with Christ's mind open, the story changed. God was now accessible to those who had been tossed out on the street and told they were nothing. And suddenly the communities began to feel flipped upside down as they were challenged to realize in Christ's message that they were all in an equal field in the eyes of God. No one higher than the other. And they were being challenged to see God in each other. Needless to say, that challenge is still not being met today. Because we segregate ourselves from people based on our incomes, our social status, ethnicities, sexual orientation, always seeking to be better, but in the process belittling those who we fear will hold us back because they're not in our vision of what a better life should look like. Again, there's that focus that tunnel vision focus that keeps us from experiencing amazing people and opportunities. Now, in my own life, I've tried very hard to keep 
my focus on God first. But in exploring God, I've reached out to several different faith backgrounds to allow my understanding of God to grow. And I think that by doing that, all I've learned is that God is in everything and in everyone. Hinduism, for example, some beautiful stuff going on. They believe God is in everything, like capital, every letter on that, everything. And if you know any practicing Hindus, you may notice that when they touch somebody, they'll bow slightly and put their hand to their chest. And when I saw that the first couple times, I was like, what are you doing? That's so weird. And one of my friends explained it to me. She's like, we're respecting the God that's in you. So when they touch somebody and they do that, they're honoring the God that lives within that other person. That's so, that's amazingly beautiful to me. Every time I think about it, I just kind of get goosebumps. There's a clear recognition that God dwells in every single person. I can't even imagine a world where we actually treated each other like that because the world is so screwed up at this point. All I can imagine is a world filled with hate and war because it's all I see when I look at the news, when I read history books, especially church history books. We hate each other and we fight each other and that is what the world is. Because there's a fear that takes over when something or someone doesn't seem to represent the beliefs of our own lives. And we segregate ourselves from them. When our fears grow from a hesitance to talk to somebody or deal with something and leads to a full-on hatred and accusations of people being against God. Because as we all know, God is only one thing. And if your view isn't the same as mine, you're heathen and you're going to hell. It's a bit extreme, but it's what it is. It's that focus, that focus that keeps us from seeing things for what they really are. The focus that keeps us, or makes us lose sight of who God is by proclaiming who we think God should be. When God is really the best thing to look at when we are trying to see that flexible vision going to Genesis and the creation story that states potentially what we were supposed to be once upon a time to the fall to a new vision an adjustment because things had to change going to Moses on the mount challenging God to change God's mind when God was ready to wipe out all of the Israelites for worshiping false gods going to prophet after prophet where we see warnings of downfall then the downfall, and words of encouragement. God is so patient and flexible with us, and we annoy the crap out of God. And still, with every generation, with every era, we've been blessed to unfold a new understanding of this amazing being who gives us life. And yet we still put God in a box. It makes no sense. Every generation, we find out something new, And somehow we put God back into being one thing. It makes no sense to me. But if God can see the beauty in all of us and the love in all of us, when truly God must be the one 
that we hurt the most when we destroy our planet, wipe out entire species of animals, kill, rape, beat, and belittle other human beings, all to pursue a vision of something better. Why can't we see that beauty and that love in each other? Think of something you have absolutely no tolerance for. A person, a group, a song genre, anything that just grinds your gears to the point of using the word hate in the description. I often say that I hate country music. I really, I don't. I don't like it. But, but I think it's twangy. I think it's lazy. And even though I don't like it, I can still find something pure and raw in the talent of the people performing. And if not in the talent, maybe in the message. And it doesn't mean that I have to listen to that song ever again, but I can respect the artists and what they're doing and respect that there is something good in it, even if I don't like it. So think of something. That person that thing, whatever irritates you, and challenge yourself to search, see, and respect the God in that. I'm not saying make it your new favorite thing or your new best friend. You still don't have to like it. But we need to open our minds. We need to push against our comfort zones to really seek God. It's not going to be easy, but no one said it would be. And I want to go one step further. I want us to sit back and try to see God in ourselves. And I'm not talking about doing nice things and going, ooh, I was the hands and feet of God today. No, there's no arrogance, there's no pride in this. But seek, see, and respect a gift that God has given you. Where do you find joy? Where do you find yourself connecting with things the most? Through conversation, through silence, through music, art, being outside? I want us to be able to see God in ourselves, look beyond our titles, look beyond our job or lack of job, and find that light. I want us to keep an open mind about ourselves and who we are without boxing ourselves into a specific role. It might be easier to find God in the person we hate than to find it in ourselves because it's really hard to search yourself that much. And it's really hard to think about it without getting that sense of pride in yourself and taking the glory away from God. But I hope... And I pray that we can at least begin to search to see God everywhere. Starting with you and me. Keep searching. Stay focused on God and allow the vision and the story to move where it leads. Focused with an open mind. Almighty God, grant us, grant that the words that we have heard on this day through your grace, be so grafted within our hearts 
that they may bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit, to the honor and praise of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please join me in the confession of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 